Amen. You may have a seat. Uh, welcome. My name is Matt, one of the staff pastors here at Vertical. It's a pleasure and an immense privilege to be with you this morning. Uh, here in just a moment, we're going to be taking the next several minutes to dive into arguably six of the most well-known verses resting at the heart of your Bibles as we continue this short yet profound journey in this topic in this series of being overdoing. And when we sat down and constructed this last more uh, topical series before we dive into a book of the Bible this summer, I didn't immediately realize how proper and how personal this series would be. It's proper because we are a church and a people who are prone to prioritize doing over being. And it's personal because I'm the greatest offender in the room. There's something deeply ingrained in each and every one of us that gives this fertile soil to the seed of doing. Do more, build bigger, go further. Have more friends, attend more events, stay up later, get up earlier, get the promotion, do the things, and that list continues. And while none of those are necessarily bad things on their own, we just are learning they're not the best thing. You know, as individuals, we fall prey to this over and over of this doing over being constantly when we believe that we must do something in order to be something. I must wear the right clothes, be with the right people. I must be a teacher, be a leader to be something. I have to have a Bible college degree to be qualified. And guess what? Churches do the same thing. It just sounds a little different. Instead of doing something to be something, we feel that we need to be something in order to do something. We have to be the best church, be the best music, have the best building, be the best production in town. And that list continues. Let me warn you about something. We are pendulum-swinging people. What do I mean by that? Well, right now in all of your minds, you're thinking, yeah, you know what? Yeah, I don't need nice clothes. Who needs a position? I don't need a position. Degrees are overrated. Burn the building down. Let's have organic services. That'll fix everything. We're done. We're beers. No. Because so often, even in our desperate attempts to avoid doing, in our non-doing, we're still doing. Hence, our continued need to prioritize being over doing. So just take a quick review of where we've been and where we're going this morning. Two weeks ago, we studied Matthew chapter 11, and we saw how we come to Christ, the only one who has true rest for our souls. We are burdened and heavy laden. His burden is easy and his yoke is light. Last week, Ephesians chapter 2, we saw where we go. And that our ultimate hope is an eternal intimacy with Christ. And this morning, we're going to do this little cost-benefit analysis and consider what it takes in life's journey to not merely be a Christian or a church who is built around doing for Christ, but to be Christians who are entirely satisfied by being in Christ. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, start turning with me to the book of Psalms, chapter 23. As you're turning there, let me just distract you for a moment. Uh, check this out. Uh, Adeline Clara Winthian, born a week ago last Wednesday. Uh, beautiful little gem. And I tell you what, I was not prepared. That's ours, by the way. Uh, good job, Laura. Uh, I was not prepared for the delight of holding this little girl who's sitting right over there, sleeping, listening to daddy. And just the delight of being in her presence staring into her little beautiful blue eyes. You know, some amazing events happened in the Winthian household last week. My wife gave birth to a new life. That's pretty cool, right? But for me, one of the most unexpected events was I went from doer Matthew to daddy Matthew. 
And let me tell you something about Daddy Matthew. Everything that I could or should be doing simply does not compare to being at home with this little one in my arms. And that's exactly what we're going to see in our text this morning as we consider the costs and the benefits of being overdoing. And I think we're going to find this morning that no matter where you're at or what prevailing situation is in your life right now, the truth that we can cling to and find in our text is that the past, the present, and the future benefits of being the Lord's completely and utterly outweigh any potential costs, and these benefits cannot be earned by doing. Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, I recognize that there's probably very few, if any of you in this room right now, who have intimate relationship with a shepherd or sheep. But listen, if we'll just take a moment and allow this flawless, timeless image that's packed into Psalm 23 speak to us in the image of the walk and the reward of the good shepherd's flock, who are being satisfied in his presence, if we can rest under that and we can understand this, then we will benefit greatly in our desire for intimacy with our good shepherd, Jesus Christ. And so let's lean into this passage for just a few minutes and start looking into these first three verses as we introduce to you to the Lord's flock and what this entails. So verses one through three. First, let's take a look at the shepherd of this flock, a very necessary component. Allow me to draw our attention to three thoughts on this shepherd. First, what is a shepherd? We're, we live in inner city, twin cities, right? We don't have shepherds as a neighbor. So what is a shepherd? Whose is the shepherd and how good of a shepherd is he? So first, what is a shepherd? Well, at the most basic level, a shepherd is one who's responsible for a flock of sheep. Okay, there's two types of shepherds. There's good and bad shepherds. Good shepherd is one who takes care of the sheep in a way that when the sheep are satisfied with him, they want nothing else. These shepherds care for, protect, provide, discipline, and lead their flocks. Bad shepherds merely take advantage of the sheep so long as it provides profit or it is easy for them. So I'm going to make a bold statement. Everyone in the world has a shepherd. The question is, what type of shepherd do you have? Second, whose is the shepherd? Well, there's a very possessive sense in the first verse that's very important to our understanding of this passage. We know that our human author who's writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is the shepherd king of Israel, King David. Further, most commentators believe that David is writing this psalm from the later part of his life, a very tumultuous life. I'll explain what this can say to us in just a moment, but first, let's just cling to this. Almost anyone can call God a shepherd, but to call him your shepherd is a level of intimacy that few ever reach. And it is the first level that you need in this crucial step of being overdoing. 
In order to find soul-satisfying intimacy with Christ, the whole idea of being overdoing, he must be your shepherd. This world's full of shepherds. Things that care for you or claim to, things that discipline you, things that provide momentary satisfaction. You're being led by someone. Maybe it's even yourself. Who is your shepherd? Thirdly, how good of a shepherd is he? Well, apparently, to this guy, he's good enough that the psalmist declares that he shall neither now or at any time want. The Lord isn't just a good shepherd. He's the good shepherd. Quickly, what, is, what does it mean when, when David says, I shall not want? Listen, every false shepherd, every shepherd offers you something in return for lordship of your life. You offer yourself the best path to success, or at least you tell yourself that. Instagram offers you popularity, prosperity preachers. You, uh, they offer you health and wealth, relationships, offer you fun, shared experiences. But the Lord and the Lord alone can offer you eternal satisfaction. Now, does this mean that you will never have a lacking of digits in your bank account or there's never going to be the urge to put something in your shopping cart on Amazon? No. Let me explain why. Because David, at the time of writing this psalm, has already experienced plenty of wants. I don't know if there's anybody in the Bible who has asked more of God than this guy. This is the guy who was hunted by Saul, the king that he would ultimately replace, and he asked for deliverance. He lost a son out of the adultery that he had with Bathsheba, and he asked for healing. He had another son named Absalom who usurped his throne and tried to take his life, and he asked for protection. He was restricted from his most earnest desire, which was to build a temple for God, and he couldn't do it. He had lots of wants. So when David declares that Yahweh, the Lord, is his shepherd, and that because of this he shall not want, he is a shepherd, David, who's speaking from the experience of great loss and disappointment through his entire life. So it's inconceivable that when you understand this passage this way, that you can tell yourself that just because the Lord's your shepherd, you'll automatically have everything from health to wealth and everything in between. That's not what he's saying, but rather David is declaring that when the Lord is your shepherd, the Lord will give you every good thing, every good cross, every good comfort, every needed chastisement, every needed supply, all timely lessons, all good deliverances. Translation, being overdoing takes place when you find satisfaction in the Lord's management of your life, in his timing, his direction, his provision, and his plan. The Lord is the sufficient shepherd, and in him all necessary things are found for the flock of his sheep. So let's look at these benefits to the flock of a sufficient shepherd. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. First, the good shepherd knows how to provide what's best for his sheep. Uh, the phrase, he makes me lie down, highlights an interesting fact about sheep. Uh, it's almost impossible to make sheep lie down unless the four requirements are met. What are those? Here, they have to be free from fear. They are free from friction. Sheep are notorious for having issues with each other. Uh, they are free from pests, and they are free from hunger. Only in the protection and the correction and the provision of a good shepherd will a flock lie down and be free from these anxieties. This is truly one of the most outstanding marks of a Christian, isn't it? 
a sense of, of gentle contentment in only a way that God can provide. There's another author in the scriptures who's a great example of being overdoing. He puts it this way in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. Not that I am speaking of need, Paul says, for I have learned that in whatever situation, take note, he's sitting in prison, whatever situation I am to be, there's our word, content. Now, if you can learn contentment from sitting in a jail with threats on your life solely for the fact that you are a Christian following Jesus, I think you've learned true contentment. So we have these images of green pastures, still waters. Uh, if you've ever been to Israel or a desert like Israel, you know that those don't exist as easily as they do in Minnesota. So for there to be a green pasture and for there to be still waters, a shepherd has to do a lot of work. There has to be a huge amount of labor, care, planning to provide these necessities for sheep in a desert landscape. Again, there's lots of false shepherds in the world. But it's only the sheep that belong to the good shepherd who receive these soul-satisfying benefits. And here's another motive-checking application for us this morning. So often we want to do our own providing, don't we? We want to be our own shepherds. Newsflash, sheep make terrible shepherds. You know what sheep do when they get let out in a green field? They eat it until it dies, and then they eat the roots of everything that died. You know what kind of water sheep find when they find it on their own? The, one that, the water that's filled with parasites and diseases. And instead of finding life-giving satisfaction, they find life-ending sicknesses. It's exactly the same way with the people of Israel. When the prophet Jeremiah put it very bluntly, he declared, For my people, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves. Oh, by the way, broken cisterns that hold no water. Great work, Israel. You did it again. But just like the Israelites, we often try to focus on doing more to become more, don't we? And in doing this, we display the age-old proof that our indulgences are no substitute for the spirit of the living God. The only good shepherd, only he can satisfy. But oh, how often we find ourselves falling into this trap over and over and over again. Hence verse 3, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. There's a unique correlation happening here between this psalm and another psalm that David wrote, Psalm 42, verse 11, where he says, Why are you so cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? The word cast down is often used among shepherds to describe a sheep who has managed to get himself in some trouble. Uh, if you were to Google the images of cast sheep, you're going to have thousands of hilarious images of sheep laying on their back with their legs in the air. Uh, I grew up on a farm, and we didn't have sheep, thank goodness, but we had a horse named Ginger, and she was just about as dumb. And so one day, we were driving up the road, and we look out into the pasture, and we just saw these four black legs sticking up in the air. They're kind of doing this, and we're like, uh, okay. So we drive out in the pasture, and sure enough, Ginger is over on her back laying in a cow path, not a path of righteousness, and she can't get up, and so we have to get her up. And it's the exact same thing with sheep. When they get rolled over in a soft spot in the pasture, they're laying down where the Shepherd hasn't advised, and they get so uh, uh, disoriented and stuck, they can't get themselves up. And soon enough, there's a mess on your hands because they, they've bloated and, and, and they're dead. 
And so this is exactly what happens to the sheep. And uh, believe it or not, when a, when a sheep has more wool on them, they're more susceptible to this. Even the fatter sheep are more susceptible to this. Uh, just because you're spiritually astute doesn't mean you don't fall over and tip over and capsize and need some restoring. Uh, in the Old Testament, you often see wool referred to as worldliness. Wool is the part of the sheep that's on the outside. It gets stuck on things. It gets things stuck in it. It gets nasty because it's the part of you that's interacting with the world. And so the more wool there is, the more susceptible a sheep is to flip over. And so what does a shepherd do to restore a sheep? Well, he gets it back up on its feet, but he also shears the sheep. Shearing, I don't know if you've ever been around a, a sheep herd that's being sheared. It's not fun. They don't enjoy it. And yet it's something that's necessary for the sheep to maintain health in the pasture. For some of you, this concept of being overdoing seems foreign. We, we talk about finding these rhythms of rest, but the only thing that happens when you finally stop being so dang busy and try to find rest is you immediately fall into sin. Maybe you're prone to laying down in the wrong parts of the pasture where the shepherd hasn't advised. Maybe when you rest, you are prone to pornography. Maybe you're prone to laziness or slothfulness or gossip. And before you know it, instead of finding rest, you're in desperate need of restoration. See, part of being overdoing is submitting to the skillful shearing of the shepherd and paying attention to lie down in his green pasture and following his paths of his righteousness rather than your own. It's under the skillful knife of the shepherd where sheep are freed from their burdens and are set upright on the path that leads to righteousness rather than to destruction. And so verses 1 through 3 show us that in order to find rhythms of being overdoing, we must first find a good shepherd. Submit to his provision, submit to his leadership, his direction, and his restoring care. Only in that type of flock, under that type of shepherd, will you be satisfied. It's only when we find the soul-satisfying comfort in the Lord as our shepherd that we can then turn to this journey before us without fear, as we see now in verse 4. We've seen the flock in verses 1 through 3. Now let's briefly look at the walk as we head towards our reward. So read along with me. Psalm 23, chapter, or Psalm chapter 23, verses 4 through 5. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. So just like a shepherd will lead the sheep of his flock on a journey to the best pastures. So God leads his children through challenging situations in order to bring them to the most beautiful mountaintops. The yearly calendar of a flock of sheep in the Middle East would look like this. In the summertime, they would head up into the mountains after a winter down below. There's not as much food down below, but it's safer. And But when the, when the, the winter passes and the rains have come, they can head up to these luscious mountain pastures. However, in order to reach these meadows, the shepherd would lead them up and through these valleys full of predators. It's on this journey where the shepherd's staff and rod are most vitally beneficial for the sheep. A rod is, is the tool that he uses to fend off predators that would attack the sheep, and the staff is to pull the sheep back when they veer off to the left and the right of the trail to the dangers that would be there. 
And here's a lesson we can learn. It's not in life's circumstances that bring us peace. But rather, it's in the shepherd's presence and his protection and his direction. Being overdoing isn't just possible in blissful pastures and still waters. It can happen in the valleys as well. So often we think that we will rest in God's presence when our environment is perfect. I'm sorry, but being overdoing isn't that complicated. It's in the turmoils, it's in the valleys, it's in the pastures, it's by still waters. In every place where God is present, we may be intimate with him. Being overdoing isn't just a season, it's a lifestyle. You prepare a table before me, verse 5, in the presence of my enemies. This is a picture of those high mountain pastures where sheep are provided the most phenomenal buffet. (laughs) However, that banquet doesn't come without the risk. Because while these high mountain table pastures are where the sheep find the most beneficial summer grazing, guess what? That's where the predators and enemies reside as well. It's at this stage of the journey that the presence of a protecting shepherd is absolutely vital in the life and the vitality of the sheep. How often do you feel that when life is going great, things are going awesome, you're being attacked from the left and the right? You're like, what's happening? This isn't normal. Yes, it is. You need your shepherd. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Two major ideas that come from this imagery of anointing with oil. First, oil protects sheep against these irritating flies. Apparently in the Middle East, there's this uh, type of fly that will lay eggs. Sorry, this is gross. Good luck. Uh, They will lay eggs inside of the nose of the sheep. And then those eggs will hatch. And then instead of going out, they go in. And the sheep will literally kill themselves, beating their head against the dirt and the rock and the trees, whatever they can find to rid themselves of this irritation. And that doesn't happen, though, if a good shepherd puts a salve and an ointment and a treatment to prevent this from happening. Another way that oil is used is in bathing sheep. Sheep will get these irritations that will pass from one sheep to the other, and before you know it, your entire herd is infected, and a shepherd will have to literally take a sheep and dip it in this bath of oil and other minerals to rid them of these diseases. And the imagery of anointing draws us to the New Testament and the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Think about this correlation. The Holy Spirit is our comforter, but also our convictor that draws out unwholesome virtues that we have set into our lives. You see, part of the process of being overdoing is submitting to the purifying and comforting anointing of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Perhaps right now God is comforting you from these pestilences of the world. Or or maybe you're being purified from a disease or, or an irritant from this world which has found its way into your life. He says, my cup overflows. In such a beautiful way of saying, I am satisfied, I am full, I am provided for. In a world where we are tempted to do something in order to be something, we are reminded that there is no room left. Therefore, we do not need to add a single thing more to the cup that the Lord has given us. Friends, our cup is full, our reward is full. So let's check out what this reward is. Verse six, surely goodness is, and mercy 
shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The reward comes in the form of a promise, and the promise is backed by the guarantee in the shepherd. Why does he do all this? Well, the answer lies back. We skipped over it in verse 3. For his name's sake. I'm sure we could spend days pondering God's self-glorifying provision of salvation for his name's sake. However, let me just give you one comforting thought before we wrap up. A shepherd's reputation isn't determined by merely holding the deed to a few pastures. The shepherd's reputation is found in the sheep that reside in those pastures. A bad shepherd, they have discontent sheep who only last for a few seasons. Good shepherds manage to have content sheep who last for a long time. The best shepherd has completely satisfied sheep who last forever. And listen, if God is about his glory and his care for his sheep is a means by which he promotes his name to all creation, then you can rest assured, friends, that God will do everything in his infinite abilities, which happen to be eternally uh, infinite, mind-blowing, right, to bring his flock through to the end. He will do it. This, beloved, is the eternal reason why we can be satisfied by being intimate with Jesus rather than doing for Jesus. So being overdoing means we give up our own desire to be our own shepherd, to provide for our own needs, our own desires, to protect our own interests. We are released from doing all of these things and welcomed into the benefit of being in the Father's presence. And so as we transition to celebrate communion together this morning, I want to draw our attention to the words of the Good Shepherd in John chapter 10, verse 11. Jesus says, I am the Good Shepherd. And the Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You know, the most important decision you'll ever make in your life isn't who you'll marry, what job you'll do, or what degree you'll achieve. The most important decision you will make in your life is what will you do with Jesus? If you've been in dry pastures, wearing yourself thin, trying to find the right path, maybe you're flipped upside down like the image of our capsized sheep, You've been destructive to yourself. You've tried to find healing. You've tried all these self-serving ways to find life. You've tried the cabin culture. You've tried the keto. You've tried all of these things, and you've said, I still haven't found it. That's because you're knocking at the wrong door, friend. Jesus says, I am the door. And if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and come out and find pasture. One of the reasons that we take communion together is to be reminded that we are indeed in the presence of the Lord. Jesus Christ came 
to us, restored our souls, and gave us life where we had no life. Not through our doing, but through his very being. He took on flesh, bore our sins to the cross where he paid the price for our sins and declared us to be his forevermore.